right, welcome, uh, welcome to the panel. Welcome to Women in Comics. Um, uh, 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 thanks to the uh, licensing and rights market uh, and to Ivanka uh, for for organizing this panel. Um, organized uh, in the wake of uh, you know certainly what 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 seems to be a you know but certainly a debacle around. Oh, women in comics, women comics creators uh, here at the festival. Uh, this is my first visit to Angoulême. I'm actually completely blown away. Uh, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, there are uh, uh, great numbers of uh, extraordinary women creators. Uh, and and, and we'll hopefully we'll get a chance, to, we are going to get a chance to talk about that. Uh, also, I think we're going to try and talk about this a little bit in the, the broader context of uh, diversity across the board in this industry. Uh, you know, um, I am, um, by the way, my name is Calvin Reed. I'm senior news editor at Publishers Weekly. Uh, I am also a co-editor of PW Comics World, which is Publishers Weekly's online coverage of uh, comics and graphic novel publishing. I do this uh, with my uh, colleague, Heidi McDonald, uh, who some of you may know, uh, editor-in-chief of The Beat, but she is also uh, PW's Comics Reviews uh, uh, editor, so you know where to send your books uh, if you want to get them reviewed by Publishers Weekly. Uh, in addition to that, um, uh, we do a podcast, a weekly podcast you might want to check out. It's at publishersweekly.com slash comics. It's called More to Come, and I do that along with Heidi and with our podcast producer, uh, Kate Fitzsimmons. Uh, please check us out. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, we're streamed uh, through the PW website. And uh, uh, each week, we uh, either we talk about, you know... The issues in comics publishing and uh, certainly diversity in the comics industry uh, around the world is certainly a topic that has come up frequently. Uh, we've addressed it many times and we clearly will address it a lot more. Um, so, but today what we're going to do is obviously look a, a little bit at sort of how women function in this industry, how they've been treated by this industry, but also what is actually going on, the incredible renaissance in um, uh, women creators, but really just a, uh, I think what we're seeing is a rise of diversity across the whole range of this industry, both diversity in terms of fan demographics, diversity in terms of genre, uh, certainly in the American side, there are, there are issues around uh, gender and ethnic and background diversity that we're still dealing with and continue to deal with. Um, but really, this industry is in the middle, I think, of a renaissance uh, in bringing more kinds of fans, wherever you happen to be, into, and, uh, into the business as, as readers, as artists, uh, as marketers, promoters, editors. So we're going to try and talk about this. And we've got a panel that's, I think, more than qualified uh, uh, over a range of generations. Uh, you know, I'm 64, so I've got a whole other view. Um, uh, but let me run out the panel. I'm going to briefly uh, just identify all the panelists, and then I'm going to let them talk a little bit about their backgrounds before we get into it. So I tell you about me, Calvin Reed, um, Publishers Weekly. We will start here. Ted Adams. Hello. It's CEO of IDW, a major American independent publisher. Next to him, Angus Cargo from Favor and Favor, the, the British publisher. Next to him, uh, uh, Sarah Val from Australia. Yes, yes an artist. Uh, next to her, Kalina Leons. I worked on that name all weekend. <laughs> also, an artist uh, from Ireland. Uh, next to her, Colin Harvey and his partner Christopher Perry from Glyphcore, a, a new small publisher. Yeah, great. So, my well, what I want to do, I'm going to we'll jump around and I'll start with Christopher. Tell everybody a little bit about. We'll go around. You don't have to be brief, but tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do. Yeah, I can do that. I can probably yell better than I can microphone, but I'm going to try a microphone. Ooh, hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Chris Perry. I'm from Glyphcore, which is a brand new publisher in the States, um, but I spent the last approximately decade working in the uh, convention scene, uh, so in uh, comics and animation festivals in uh, New England, in the United States. So most of my background comes from directly interacting with the people that that buy comics and consume comics as well as a lot of people who are creating that work especially in the independent scene in the US so that's me now you Hi, um, I'm Colin Harvey I've pretty much the same background as Chris uh, again for about the last decade we've been working with conventions and meeting uh, creators and publishers and 
uh, and uh, as well as being a big part of the fandom scene. Uh, particularly for me, uh, with uh, the uh, the manga side, with the Japanese artists, and uh, that uh, area of the fandom. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Kena. I'm an Irish comic book artist and animator. Uh, I did comics at the School of Visual Arts in New York, and I work as uh, an animator, letterer, colorist, basically jack of all trades. Um, I'm currently the assistant director on Lego Nexonites, which is on Cartoon Network, so you watch it. And I also play comic book tourist. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time. I took a year off and went basically around the world, literally meeting comic book artists in about 40 odd countries. Um, so that's what I do. So I'm Sarah Howell and I'm also a comic artist. I'm also the founder of a, a comic collective with my husband and, and a few other artists in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I also direct a comic festival. I come from an arts festival background and uh, so rather than from the convention side, I come, come from an arts um, festival approach to creating a comic festival and I also curated for two years a monthly comic event where we would have female comic artists come and talk about their work in our studio space in Melbourne. Um, so yeah, so that's me. Hi, and I'm uh, Angus Cargill, Editorial Director at Faber, uh, where I've worked for about 16 years now. Um, and about 10 years ago, I'm a, I'm a fiction editor, but about 10 years ago I um, took on uh, the first book I ever acquired, actually, as an acquiring editor, was City of Glass, which was the great adapt of um, the first book of Paul Auster's New York trilogy. Uh, we, we published all Paul Auster's novels, of course, but um, this was a book that I had failed to get my hands on, having only been available as a limited edition in, uh, in the US. So I bought the rights from the UK, uh, and that book has done extremely well. And on the back of that, and as a big reader of comics, I've I've been doing about two graphic novels a year since, so for about uh, eight or nine years uh, I've been doing two graphic novels, so it's a small sort of fanboy sideline, but I love it very much. Uh, we publish people like Adrian Tomenay, we've done all his books now, um, Craig Thompson and uh, Emily Carroll more recently, um, so yeah, some good stuff. Thank you. Angus has very good taste, in case you can't tell. Uh, I'm Ted Adams. I'm the CEO of a public company in the U.S. called IDW Media Holdings. We have uh, a handful of businesses you wouldn't be interested in, but uh, the, the business that you are are the IDW businesses. I founded IDW in 1999. I'm the CEO and publisher for IDW. Within IDW, we have several imprints. We have our core, our core line, IDW, where we do things like Transformers, Star Trek, Lock and Key, those kinds of books. We bought an uh, independent comics company, Top Shelf, last year. Top Shelf does independent books. Uh, they do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, From Hell. Uh, we have a book right now, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, an adaptation by Troy Little that's, that's quite good. We also have a division, Library of American Comics, which reprints classic American comic strips, things like Dick Tracy, Bloom County, those kinds of things. And then we have a new division, Euro Comics, where we're reprinting classic European comics, and we've started that off with Porto Maltese, which has done quite well for us. Uh, as far as my own personal background, I've worked in comics since 1990. I started with a small company in California called Eclipse Comics, which is long out of business, but was very influential in starting creator rights and independent comics in the United States. I moved from there to Dark Horse Comics, which of course is still around. Uh, then worked for a bit for Jim Lee at Wildstorm Productions, and then uh, for Todd McFarlane at his company before starting IDW. So been doing this for quite a while. Uh, I recognize that, you know, I'm as, as we talk about gender diversity, I'm the person who's the ultimate hiring decision for lots of people with uh, all the divisions that we have, the companies that you don't know and the ones that you do. I oversee about 500 employees. So gender diversity is something that is a is a pretty consistent conversation is something that we've uh, that we've worked to accomplish at IDW and our sister companies for, for as long as we've been in business. So back to you. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, and on that note, we're going to cut to the chase. I want to, uh, I really want to uh, shift the discussion over to to Sarah, and, you know, and to Kleena. And, and, you know, as, what it seems to me you represent really a new generation of comics creators. And I'd love to hear about your experiences in this business and get your perspective on, you know, on the issue that we're here to talk about and where you think we're going. So, shall we start with Sarah, since you've got the mic at the ready? Right, thank you very much. Go for um, it. 
Um, you know, my experience, I guess the reason why I started the the event that I ran, which was called Ladies Drawing Auxiliary, was because uh, we were at a comics festival and there was a bunch of us women talking about, one of them had recently been interviewed on the radio and they'd kind of asked some stupid questions, I can't even remember the questions now, but, um, but it kind of got us all talking about this issue of... Um, of how we're we're treated in the in the community, and generally it's it's not like overt sexism. It's always kind of accidental. Um, and so the, the best example out of that conversation was uh, we have a regular comics meet in Melbourne, um, which is a sort of genre um, sort of focused group of, of artists. Um, you know, really successful event. So like 50 people come to that quite regularly. But this this particular artist, she turned up. And someone turned around her and asked, "Oh, so who are you here with?" <laughs> they, didn't, they they just assumed she was not there as an artist in her own right, um, and and that that was just kind of it was not ill-meaning. It was just not thought through, you know. And I think that that was indicative of you know many situations that we find ourselves in. And uh, so from that, you know, the, the men sort of around us while we were having this kind of heated discussion were like, you guys need to have a podcast or something. This, this is like, you know, they were really enjoying the conversation we were having. Um, and so from that uh, grew this idea of having a regular um, monthly um, talk night where you know, people can actually discover female artists. Because the other thing is, you know, females don't, don't turn up to the comics meet. Like, they got other things that they're doing. Um, most of the, the, a lot of the published creators in Australia are females, you know, so there's a lot of successful females, but they don't go to the comics meet, they don't go to these, these sort of social events that are male-dominated. So we wanted to have a forum where, where women could actually um, be, you know, talk about their work. And, and men could actually discover these artists as well. So initially we had a discussion about whether we would make it an exclusively female event and no, no men in the audience, but we actually you know, did that really well to have men come along and, and, and see, the, um, see the artists and see their work and, and find out about them. Um, another uh, situation I think of, sort of tiny, tiny, tiny version of what's happened with Ungland here, like end of 2014 there was a new um, publisher that came about and small press publisher and they put up their list of favourite comics for 2014, Australian uh, published comics and, uh, and there was no women on the list and the internet went crazy at them and, um, and, and from that uh, there was a, a really strong demand to have a list of like female creators and, and so yeah people genuinely wanted to know where the female creators are and, and how to kind of read their work. And so we, we kind of got pulled, a couple of us pulled together and, and put together a list of, um, of Australian female creators, which I believe is on, it's on Chicks in Oz Comics is the, is the blog uh, run by Alicia Jade. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, there's definitely a hunger for a way to find these, these female artists um, if they're not published by a big publisher, if they're self-published. Um, because unfortunately females are not as good at uh, promoting themselves. We do tend to sort of talk ourselves down and, and uh, downplay ourselves, which is a cultural thing we, we need to kind of address. But, um, but, and I think women are increasingly doing so. And as, as Calvin kind of discussed in, in the email he sent around to us, um, the, the internet is definitely kind of shifting, shifting the game um, in terms of, of people finding artists through the internet and, uh, and women are definitely feeling more comfortable maybe to, to, to present their work through their comics. Um, and I know for myself, being a new mum, uh, my husband's over there with baby on him right now, uh, that I, I'm very much now reading primarily digital comics because I physically can't read a comic because it gets torn up. <laughs> um, so, so my, my uh, consumption of digital is, is dramatically increasing, and I think you know female readers um, are definitely coming in through the, through the digital. I think what Sarah said there was really important about that. A lot of it is very subtle. Um, when there's like something that's very overt, um, not everyone, but I think well, particularly Irish and Australian people will be very loud and shout it down. I mean, the, 
the most overt things that was said to me was um, I worked as an animator at the Cartoon Saloon in Kilkenny on a film called The Secret of Kells and Glenn App did a uh, adaption of it into a comic and the director Tom is an like, obsessive comic fan so he didn't want to just take screen caps, gaps from the film and just do that as a book, he wanted to actually redraw the scenes of it and um, so he was asking around the studio if like, he's going to draw it and someone to colour it and need someone to letter it and I was like, well, I'll do the lettering because no one here has any experience in comic book lettering and can't use Illustrator. And there was a guy, well, they're animators, they can use TV paint. But um, there was a guy there who was coming to the end of his contract doing layouts and he wanted to do the lettering. And I was like, well, you've no experience doing lettering. And he actually said to me, he says, yeah, but I should be given a first choice because I'm a man. And I was like, <laughs> why? And he's like, he said, you know, it, it should be weighted that way because you're a woman, you can go have babies, you always have that option. You never have the same pressure on you that I have wow. to find work. <laughs> that, that was probably the most that's direct pretty, thing. That's pretty overt. That yeah, that's the most yeah. direct yeah. thing. Yeah. The subtlety are, are, are there at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I always say that's that's the top end of the scale <laughs> yeah, so. of like, people who well, are really bottom. <laughs> smashed against the wall. But the vast majority of it is things like what we refer to as the table totty comment. Um, I was at Stumptown one year and Liz Bailey was at, um, an amazing New York cartoonist who's sadly no longer doing comics, was at a table next to me with her husband and people kept coming up and talking to him and he was just like, no, I'm just here to get donuts and help out. And he actually did up a big sign saying, you know, like table toddy on his, his shirt as a joke and but we started talking to a lot of the female cartoonists there and it became like this, this constant thing of like you are always deemed to be the girlfriend rather than the creator and even when there's couples there's an awful lot of kind of comics power couples in the well spread out from new york now but when i went sva like rena tailmegger and dave roman and john green and marion Friedas, like all these people who are married we would always talk to the husband first and then well, i'm like Rena's has like five books in the top 10 of like the new york best publisher and you're like you should be talking to her not the husband you do not need to go through so we yeah we coined the team term table toddy to <laughs> kind of combat that um i know i think i was quite lucky in that um i there was like ireland is incredibly tiny and everyone who is in ireland wants to do comics basically wants to work for marvel so if you don't want to work for marvel they don't do new comics um but i actually <laughs> left quite young and went to new york and went to sva and i was very lucky to be there when rena tailmaker and hope larson and all these amazing people were just graduating and going off and starting to do comics so I was like really positive coming out and then I went back to Ireland and it's just like a brick wall I went to a comic convention there and like everyone was just like ignoring my opinion not talking to me and I was like they were talking about artists who are actually friends of mine and I was like well I actually know what this is about and it's like no you don't you can't talk about this it's like you can't have an opinion because you're not part of this little clique of, of men who are going to go work for Marvel and so that was weird and then um, I moved to London about five years ago, and the London scene is very, very, like, well, the UK scene in general is very interesting at the moment. It's about, about eight years ahead of where I think the Irish scene currently is, because there was a lot of people there who thought they only wanted to work for Marvel, they only worked for um, DC or um, 2000 AD. And then recently we had Self Made Hero, No Brow, Blank Site Books, a lot of, like, small British publishers who've been putting out, like, really, really amazing British comics, even though they're in English and like I had lots of people who didn't want to market them as British comics, they wanted to market them as comics in English. I think they they seem to think that would be a negative I don't know if that's a call for bad about that would be a negative reaction to being called British comics, but I think in the last kind of couple of years there's been a real identity of British comics and it's very much fifty fifty men and women who are producing these comics and I'm now, so yeah. no, well, just a quick uh, you know, I, I am curious about this I mean certainly in the US um, where we're talking about opportunities uh, or the lack of opportunities for women creators uh, it tends to, we tend to be talking about the superhero part of the industry not so much about the incredible renaissance of talent we're seeing out of Small press, the independent uh, company. I'm curious, I mean, has that I, been... I think it's more noticeable in the kind of superhero genre just because the way those jobs are gotten. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that the problem, I think, a lot of the time talking about women in comics is that you don't want to put down the guys who are working. They, they are all very incredible, um, talented people, and they do deserve to get published. But 
they, it's it's that that p word privilege. It's like people don't realise that they that there's that extra step that they didn't have to step on to get where they are. And there are some very very talented Irish comic book guys. Uh, a lot of them are for IDW. A few of them are now working doing stuff for Marvel and DC, which was their goal. Um, but I know for a fact that they went to New York Comic Con every year and they went drinking with all the right guys and they played up the, you know, Irish, like, people can really drink and were really fun to go out with and, like, they worked at that and, like, that is a way to do it and if you're not, like, like I, I do like to go out drinking, I do like to go out and have fun, but it's, it's different when you're a woman, because if you are too, like, pushy like that as a woman, you're either labelled a bitch or labelled a bit slutty and trying to get to the way, your way through that way rather than just being someone who's good fun to go out drinking with which is what a lot of the, the, you know, they do the bloke thing you know we're going to be lads and go out drinking together and then go oh, you'll remember that guy three months down the line when you're looking for somebody to pencil your book you know, I think that's that's somewhat a way that women sometimes stumble getting into that superhero genre and I think it's, it's slightly different with the, the more alternative press small press stuff uh, I guess I, I feel like the, the small press still is mainly driven by men. Like it's mostly men who are publishing, and uh, there's very few women who are the publishers and the editors uh, in small press. Uh, yeah, in, in Australia, the um, the Alan Arnold, which is the kind of standard mainstream uh, publisher, commercial publisher, um, who do regular books, but they do a couple of graphic novels a year, and they're all female editors. But when you come down to small press level, it's all male editors. I got like, like excited recently because I thought two, two Sydney-based artists were going to create a small press, but they're, they're creating a, a distribution um, platform online, uh, which is great as well. But I was like, oh, but I, I really wanted you to be a small press. Like, I wanted there to be a small press that was run by women. Um, yeah, so I still feel like there's, there's, there's um, some you know, level of discrimination and, well, not discrimination, but it'd just be really wonderful to see more women in small press, I think, as, as, as editors, as editors so and publishers. Creators. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so the, the small press are great in supporting female creators, but yeah, it'd be great to see them more, more represented in the, in the administration side of things as well. All right. Well, I'm, we're going to switch to some of your co-panelists now. So I think I'm going to jump to Angus if that's uh, uh, if that's okay. And, uh, and really for for the, for the other panel, I'm kind of curious to hear you talk about how does this issue impact your business or your thinking about publishing or a larger sense of diversity uh, in publishing. Sure. I mean, it, it's always a question in English publishing diversity. Um, not, not particularly gender diversity. I think, I think latterly, certainly in the last 10 years in London, it's, that side of it has improved hugely. Uh, I mean, it, it was only a few months ago, but uh, last year, Jonathan Cape and uh, Anne Faber both got female publishers in the same week. For first ever female publishers of the two sort of oldest literary movements in London. And no, that's only very recently, but... You know that was it was quite striking that it happened within a week. Um, but you know the the number of female editors is, is huge. You know? I mean it probably outweighs the, the number of male editors, and it, so that side of it has improved greatly. I think um, there are there are other uh, equality issues in, in publishing as always. Uh, we won't attend to get into them. But in terms of in terms of graphic novels, which is what I know, sort of rather than comics per se, um, I you know I think there's there's been some of the most notable books of recent years have been have been by women. Uh, there's been fantastic books published. Um, uh, there's a British young British artist called Isabel Greenberg, who Jonathan Cape published. She's very good. Uh, Emily Carroll, who I mentioned, who I published, um, and Evie Wilde. I don't know if you know her. She's Australian. She published. Uh, Fantastic uh, graphic novel with a in collaboration with an artist who was the writer uh, with Jonathan Cable last year called Everything Is Teeth, which is just the most beautiful book about a sort of it's, it's kind of a memoir about a girl being uh, scared of sharks and the sharks following her through her life. It's an amazing book. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's been some good good stuff coming. Phoenix is a weekly. Mm -hmm. um, I just mentioned a couple of sure. Phoenix is a, a weekly children's comic, but it's kind of in uh, kind of nine-year-old bracket rather than 
Like the Beano is more is probably the most well known British weekly comic and that same with a slightly younger demographic and the, the Phoenix came out of the DFC, which featured an awful lot of like Sarah McIntyre, Gary Norfield, a lot of um, um, not Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Smart. Um, a bunch of very well-established British cartoonists. And what's nice is uh, it's given a lot of people a good a start in comics because they can do short strips. They don't want long mm-hmm. meandering epics. They want really short comics they can print. And I think it's been a good first publication for a lot of upcoming British talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was just going to add, it was quite interesting what Sarah was saying earlier about whether, whether web comics have sort of empowered a a younger, I think they've empowered a younger generation generally. I don't know about female artists, but certainly Emily Carroll was. You I know, she she had like such Barry, an yeah. incredible following before before we published her book. Yeah, um, and and the, you know, that, I think that's just been a general breakthrough comics. It's, it's a different way of doing things. But uh, it was very striking with Emily her following when you know when, when I took it on. The book maybe two years before we actually published it, when it was just in progress, from on the basis of some of the web comics. But the following she built up was incredible. You know, I'm going to segue over to to, to Colin and Chris, but maybe you two can uh, join together and respond to just you know, you are certainly a different generation uh, of, of, of publisher, and maybe you can talk just how, how how do you handle this issue in Europe? And obviously, a, a new and small publishing venture. Well. Uh, there's something that is uh, thinking about as we're talking is um, not necessarily with uh, us publishing, but when we uh, run our the conventions that we run, uh, we have to handle security for uh, any guests we have. And generally, it has been we've had more problems when the guest is female because the fans generally I don't they're not as respectful. They're not as respectful uh, t- towards the, the female guests we have. Whether they're really whether they're creators or uh, voice actors or whatever uh, we have, and so that is just one thing that I've noticed from the convention side of things is that the fans do not seem even if they really, they may be big fans and they really like the work, but it is uh, very apparent that uh, they don't seem to they don't speak as with, with as much respect uh, towards mm-hmm. the female guests. Well, yeah, I mean, that's another issue, too, that we're talking about. I mean, I do a podcast with two female uh, you know, commentators, uh, and one of the things that they both bring up is really um, uh, online abuse. Um, the internet's great, obviously, for finding artists and revealing artists, but it also can, um, boy, it can spew, you know, some evil stuff, and uh, that's something that really is brought to my attention, that uh, uh, both for artists and then for my co-panelists, uh, particularly Kate, who's a fan, you know, is a fan of the highest order, and I have to say, look, I know a fair amount about comics, but I work with two women who leave me in the dust as far as really knowing about comics, who's doing what and what they've read. I'm amazed on a weekly basis. Uh, but uh, their experiences online uh, as female fans uh, is sometimes just completely appalling. So, yeah, just... Yeah, and on that note... Um but one of the other things that we do, I didn't mention, is we run a small anti-piracy organization. And um, one of the things that came up is that uh, several years ago, uh, there's a, a manga called um, wrote Black Butler. And she had publicly, uh, publicly stated that she that it's not nice when, uh, when uh, fans will illegally download the work that's been translated elsewhere on the internet. And, you know, so you know, none of the money is going back to that. Sure. And she publicly said that, and uh, when she said that, fans just fans just flipped, and just uh, some really toxic things being said. A lot of uh, point to gender, yeah. gender slurs and whatnot going on at the time. So it's it, like you said, the internet can be a really toxic place. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking. Um, one this of is Christopher. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of. Um, Chloe Gloss, yeah. who's a, one of the artists that we uh, are really good friends with. It's uh, beautiful past is her thing. And she's talked about how if a, a man is derided, he's derided for what he does. And when women are derided, they're derided for being women. And that that's such a big distinction that somebody will say, oh, oh this guy's terrible because look at what he did. And this woman's terrible because she. It doesn't matter who... who there's no 
there's no uh, distinction given to to even uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. it's targets. Just, no, yeah. It's, it's even, <laughs> even even if there isn't an issue, maybe with the work, there could still be an issue with with her as as, as a creator. Yeah, as, I think like Sarah comment. Like Sarah mentioned earlier about how women don't push themselves forward as much. I think it's, it's also the same when when criticizing something, women are slow to be very vocal about criticizing it because the thing that comes back is if they, they get a photo of you, it's immediately all of you are fat and you're not attractive and you're just jealous because you're not as pretty as this girl. And instead of attacking the kind of, it's like, you know, attack post not the poster yeah. when you're on web forums but when it's women it's always you attack their appearance and you attack their yeah. history if there's any mention online of any romantic connections or anything that is always brought up but you never see that brought up with guys of oh well so and so you know friend of mine is uh, <laughs> um, a cartoonist who's uh, uh, working for he's working for now he's Marvel but um uh, his girlfriend is also a, is a colorist and colors most of his books. And uh, whenever criticism comes, his is always criticized for yeah. the quality of the work, but then they always attack her for her appearance and the fact that she's dating him. And the only reason she was to color that book is because she's dating him. And it was like, she was actually more established than him when he met her. But now suddenly all her fame is connected to his fame. Yeah. And it's, it's a weird, the whole weird thing. The whole colorist thing, the female um, colorist. With the Walt Disney painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I like to say my husband is my colorist. Uh, he's he's uh, <laughs> timed a couple of my comments. Um, you know, I, I'm going to jump to you, Ted, on this one. Um, and, we, and we talked about this a little bit. Uh, part of what we're talking about really is, I think, it's certainly in the U.S. market, is a tremendous change uh, in the fan base. And in what the industry is doing, and really to to actually recognize that actually women are fans, uh, that their content um, you know needs to be developed in a different way. Uh, IDW has publishes a wide variety of content for a wide variety of market, uh, and I think many publishers are starting you know to publish like general publishers, something for everyone. So maybe you can talk a little bit about a multifaceted publishing program. Yeah, I think that you know. So I mentioned before, I'm CEO of a public company, so my my specific job is to maximize profit for my shareholders. That's their expectation of me. And so if I were to go to them and say, I'm not going to create content for half of the population, they would think I was out of my mind and I would be fired probably. Uh, so for me, it's all driven by content. And I think that in the U.S. particularly, gender diversity for a long time was a problem because the content was not of particular interest to women. It was very male-oriented superhero fantasies for decades. And so that led to a generation that just kind of got left out of it. There was Archie and there were some other things, but it just, it just was a very male-dominated uh, content. And that started to change when some strong female editors entered the business. Heidi McDonald, who works with Calvin, uh, certainly was a... a an important editor at DC Comics and other places. Karen Berger, I think, is arguably maybe yeah. one of the most influential editors of all time. Uh, for those of you that don't know, she she uh, pioneered and started the Vertigo imprint at DC Comics. She was the person who brought over all the British writers. She broke Alan Moore. She broke Neil Gaiman. Uh, just, you know, like I said, arguably the, the most important editor, certainly of my generation, Diana Schutz, who I had the opportunity to work with at Dark Horse. Uh, again, uh, you know, just a, a person, not a woman with great taste, a person with great taste. You know, she worked with Frank Miller and Matt Wagner, and you'll notice that the women, the women editors, were working mostly with men, because at that point, they really, women weren't particularly self-selecting to become artists and to become comic creators at that time. But because of the work of those female editors, they started to create content that was of interest to all people, not just to men. So if you look at the books, I think that those three editors in particular and, and some other people like Barbara Kiesel, the works that they started to put together became putting comics together that were interest to the entire population, both genders. And so as you move through the 80s and 90s, you start to see comics that are for everybody, and that's when women start to think about, well, maybe I want to draw comics, I want to write comics, I want to, I want to start self-selecting, not just at the editorial level, but also at the creative level. And that kind of brings us to where we are today, where we're now seeing that the world is becoming more gender diverse at the creator level, 
But I think where that where where my mission is certainly, you know, we are, I, I hope, gender neutral when it comes to uh, talent. You know, and I hear the stories that you, I, I agree with you that there, there's no question that comics is a like all business, it's a relationship business. And so, you know, you know a person. I started my business because I was friends with Steve Niles and Ashley Wood and Ben Templesmith and. They, I, I called them because they were my friends, and that's you know that's that's how they got those jobs. But that that's not at all, I don't think that's particularly unique to comics. I think that 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 Rolodex mentality in a world without Rolodex is still exists. You know, we we all get our jobs through our relationships, and so you know how do we figure out how to how to break that that sort of pub culture? Um, I don't think that's as prevalent. We, we employ so many creators that it's <laughs> kind of a, a big volume of creators that we're looking after. So I don't know that um, we couldn't just get them from going to the to the pubs. But I certainly hear I hear what you're saying when it comes to that, and it, you know, it's kind of eye opening to me think that that's you know there's no question that there there is some of that happening at cons. Um, but with that said, within IDW, so where I, where I think that the success lies for us is gender diversity certainly with our creative talent and just frankly being gender neutral what we have to do is publish the best content we possibly can we need to publish the best transformers books we can we need to publish the best independent books we can because it's the it's the great content that that finds readers the mediocre content the mediocre talent just doesn't find an audience so if you look at some of the things that we've done just even within the world of transformers which is i think pretty consistently seen as a boys brand we have female creators both writers and artists who work on what traditionally would have been seen as a boys' brand, and uh, we actually, in fact, brought gender diversity to Transformers. Believe it or not, if you didn't know this, the, the Transformers actually they are they have sexual identities, and uh, which I did not know until we started to uh, go down this path. And we uh, we created a character, a female creator uh, created a character called Windblade, which was the first uh, female Transformer. Which was, you know, you're talking about fan culture. That was a that was a controversial thing for us to do. I uh, <laughs> I don't I don't go on the internet much for lots of reasons, but that's going on. So, uh, so anyhow, so everything from what's considered to be a very boys brand all the way that's you know that's one extreme as far as you know licensed comics all the way to our top shelf division. Last year, one of our most critically acclaimed books that was on many best of the year books was a book by Jennifer Hayden called Story of My Tits, which was an autobiography. That about her experience with breast cancer. It's a very, again, it's a very um, powerful piece of fiction or not fiction of, uh, of nonfiction. Just an important work. So we have everything from, you know, boys brand licensed comics all the way to this, you know, this powerful autobiography and and kind of everything in between. We do comics based off Gem and the Holograms. And one of my proudest moments last year was New Yorker. Magazine wrote an article about our Jim and the Hologram comics, uh, and and I've been reading the New Yorker for a long time. I had never seen them cover comics, and the way they covered it was they used our Jim and the Hologram comics to discuss transgender politics and and uh, transgender rights in the United States because the creator, one of the creators on our Jim comics, is transgender. And uh, so they used that conversation. We actually changed the, the credit in the books. We, when we went back to press, we changed the credit so that it, it uh, was accurate. And they wrote an entire article about it. And, and so I think that there are ways to do interesting content. And again, being sort of... It's, I'm not interested in, in what somebody's gender is. I'm interested in can they tell a good story? Can they draw a good story? Is there a way to find an audience for this? And then just to circle back, and then I promise I'll stop talking... It, it, it really does all start with the content. So where, where I see my mission is is to sell as diverse a content as I possibly can and to reach an audience in as many places as I can. So when a lot of times when people think about U.S. comics, they think about comic book stores, and we love comic book stores, but they are, they are only part of where we sell our content. And, and they're not even half of our revenue. They're probably more like 30% of our revenue at this point. So we have our comic book stores. We have... The book channel, which is in the U.S., largely driven by Amazon, although there is a, a, a very burgeoning independent uh, book scene happening again in the U.S., I'm happy to report. Uh, so we have that channel. We have the ebook channel, digital distribution, our friends at Comixology and iBookstore and all of those places. We also, where, where I am the most excited, though, about where we, where we break distribution in a way that no other publisher does is two ways. One, we are very aggressive with scholastic book fairs and book clubs. And in the U.S., these are the folks that actually set up at schools, public schools and private schools in the U.S., they set up book fairs within the schools, and they have our content in there. And we have content 
that's going to appeal to kids, not not boy kids, not girl kids, but just kids. There's My Little Pony comics, there's Skylanders comics. These are not, they're not intended, they're not marketed as this is for a boy or this is for a girl, they're just for kids. And so we're reaching every year millions of kids through Scholastic Book Fairs and, and uh, catalogs with content that they just wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. And then the last thing that we do is we have a, a format that's proprietary to IDW called the Micro Comic Fun Pack. And basically this is a small comic book that comes with other things like tattoo sheets and stickers, and it's small, like I said, and it's actually wrapped in the trading card section at mass market retailers in the U.S., so places like Target, Toys R Us, Kmart, Walmart. It's in the, in the trading card section, it's an impulse buy, and again, these are not gender-specific comics, these are, these are just comics for kids, and so we're getting kids' comics into the kids' of hands in, sorry, it's, it's early in San Diego where I'm from. We're getting comics into the hands of kids in a way that really nobody else is. And 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 my goal is is that I want kids to I want kids to discover comics and to love them as much as I did, and then grow up either to become a publisher or grow up to become creators. And that's that's the opportunity I see is if we can be gender diverse in the content, that's where gender diversity will happen everywhere. Well, I, I actually kind of like the image of comics taking over kids. Uh, yeah. that, you know, that, that certainly was my experience. Comics kind of picked me. Yeah, same uh, for me. Uh, but, yeah, and, uh, but I want to get some co- I want to get some questions from the audience. But uh, uh, I also want to mention that uh, my mission at PW for the last thirty years has been to bring comics into the book world. And I think what we're seeing is certainly in the U.S. market. Obviously, this is very different here. I mean, it's comics are books. Uh, that has not always been the case in the in the U.S. market. And, Ten years ago, you certainly even couldn't say that. It's it's completely transformed, and I do think the book format it was is you know sort of an evolutionary metaphor that you know the comics industry is kind of walking upright. I mean, and that's an unfortunate because actually the periodical industry, the direct market has been tremendously important, but. The book market is my focus, and I think books bring a, an entire dimension, a new dimension to the comics world, graphic novels, and of course that comics are sold now in the places where the most readers are, uh, and therefore more readers of every type. So um, uh, I think that's an important uh, in, in sort of balancing out this gender issue. Now, questions from the audience for our, our esteemed panel. Yes, I saw you raise your hand. I found very interesting when you talked about content, and I would like to, to write your reputation for the fact that sometimes discrimination hides the purposes of content. For years, uh, female narratives have been disregarded as only in interest for a woman or, or as a niche, and we know that means lesser. Uh, and uh, so I want to know if that's a concern. As, uh, in my experience, also I'm, I'm Brazilian. I'm a young artist, so I've been following, uh, and I have a lot of colleagues, female young artists, that have had to deal with the criticisms from editors saying that your work was too girly, even when they had a large amount of diversity among their works, even when it's not traditional pink pastel stuff. So. <laughs> So sometimes that happens, the, the criticisms from uh, the content hides and in a form that seems kind of neutral or objective, but actually it's more deep than that. So is that a concern you ever had a chance to... And, you, and the question is, is, you know, is, do female creators' work sort of inherently be read as lesser by certain editors? Anyone want to take yeah, that? I, I, yeah. mean, I, I think you're directing that to me. Is that sort of yeah, I can just answer quickly that I mentioned the book, uh, the story of my tits, which is not uh, it's not marketed to women. It's just marketed to people. And so you know, yes, it's a breast cancer is of course something that only women experience, but it's a, a, a good, compelling autobiography. It's just interesting to read, no matter who who's writing it. And we all have. You know, all men have mothers and sisters and wives and daughters, and you know, it's not so. While we won't have that necessarily that specific experience, we certainly, I, almost everybody has that has had that happen in their lives, and so I think it's you know, from from that standpoint, it's never been oh, we want to market this book to women or think of it that way. It's just it's a book that we want everyone to read. I just want to answer that and also touch on some of what you said about um, there is this thing sometimes where we brand things as women, like like in sports where we say like it's always the women's rugby team and then just the rugby team and it automatically sort of lowers them 
below because you never say the men's rugby team it's always that so there is a habit I think with some people to label things as women's comics and you know for girls but I think um, I think the problem is an awful lot of the creators and the editors and the people who are pushing the content are aiming for that kind of selling it to everybody and then there's these people who do marketing and you might notice that with like the Star Wars toys and particularly like the show I work on is aimed at nine-year-olds it was made for nine-year-old children not nine-year-old boys yet when they initially did the packaging design for the toys it's the advertising people did the flyers and it said perfect for your for boys on it and like everyone involved in production was like why does it say boys we've never designed this show or marketed it for boys and there's a great comic that um that Paul Dini um, did about doing uh, uh, market testing for when they were doing Green Lantern and some of the DC animated stuff and they were you know they made this show for a general audience and they took it to the marketing people and the marketing people showed it to boys and girls and they watched them react to it and the guy between this is really really good and then the marketing people came back and yeah girls didn't like it they're like, but well, we just watched them watch it. No, 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 no. Our research says they didn't like it. And there's, there's some weird research that was done, I think, in the 1950s that some marketing school is teaching and people refuse. And I think it starts with like consumers. I mean, at the end of the day, there's no point in creating content if no one is going to buy it. And I think a lot of shops and bookstores and toy stores are pushing for like the, they say gender neutral and people freak out. You know, because you're not talking about making everything beige. You're just talking about like not putting pink and blue aisles in. And I think, like, maybe, I mean, maybe Sarah can talk about being a new mother, but I don't know. Parents freak out at the idea that they have to, to think about what they're buying their child. I, I used to work for Eason's, who are the uh, largest bookseller in Ireland. And, like, people used to come into the bookstore and say, I need a book for a, a boy who's 12. And I'm like, oh, well, here are books for 12-year-olds. Well, which one's for a boy? Uh, well, no, they're, they're all suitable. It's like, oh, no, no, I just need one for a boy. And it was, it was just this thing of they just don't want to think sometimes and they want everything just to be labelled very clearly for them. And I think we're, we are moving away from that. You know, I'm, I'm usually an incredibly cynical person, but I'm actually very positive about the future of comics. I think people, like there are a lot of cart female cartoonists in their kind of mid to late 30s now who you know, will be the people being nominated for the Grand Prix 30 years from now and will be the people who are doing the history of comics for just comics and not for women and men's comics. It's just a weird point at the moment for the kind of transition. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's wrong. Oh, sorry. Hi, excuse me. I, just, I think the question she has is something I came across once. Uh, not in this comic picture, actually, I didn't do so. But one time I had a friend say to me, because I read a lot of books, and he said, you know, Ivanka, I don't like the books that women read. And I went, what does that mean? He says, well, the content. When they write, it's just, it just doesn't work for me. And I said, what are you talking about? What are you, like, what are you talking about? He said, no, I can tell that a woman writes a book. And I think that's the question she's asking is that she's yeah. probably yeah. I, I can answer that. So I, Ivanka, I, I can answer that sort of directly because, as I said before, we we have a Transformers we have a Transformers book that's written by a woman and, and uh, was drawn by a woman. We, at that time, we were doing three Transformers books: two two that were written by men and one that was uh, written by a, a woman, and they all sold exactly the same. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it didn't. It, so there is a girl's name on the book, a woman's name on the book, and it sold the same as the books that had men's name on them. So it didn't, from a from a reader standpoint, it didn't impact their purchasing decision. It, I mean, there, yeah, and it's also the, the, I think it has this notion of gender ESP. I'm just I mean, is, this, is this some generational like defect that you know may you know I, I've certainly encountered this notion myself. I, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to really know how to even respond to it. This the extra, you know, antenna that can detect gender and writing. So I, I don't know, you know. I, I, you know, I kind of think that this is something that will pass, like, you know, uh, you know, horses and buggies. I, I was going to say, uh, I, I'm quite interested in the idea of kind of a, a blind uh, uh, audition type process. You know, that story of, of like in orchestras, they never used to employ women because they said they could play as well. And then they did a blind performances where the, the judges couldn't see the gender and suddenly there were women in the orchestra. Um, uh, yeah, like the I feel like something like Saga. If you if someone thought that that was written by a woman, it would be labelled a girly story, but it's written by a man. You know, um, so yeah, there are definitely stories that, that you know 
Yeah, I labelled as a girly. Um, uh, yeah, and, and and I think it's, it's great that the, the you know this, the Transformers book sold equally. But I think what Lena was touching on was these gatekeepers of marketing um, don't necessarily they've got something in their head that tells them it's not going to work like that. Um, I think it does transfer to fans. I think it's what the guys were talking about at conventions where they just see a woman's name maybe on the list. Um, I, I remember um, like Rena Taylor was hired by Marvel to write a X-Men book. And before she put pen to paper, she was already being like ripped apart on online forums because they'd seen other work that she'd done and her work is, for want of a better description, girly. She'd done a lot of comics, like she'd done an adaption of the Babysitter's Club graphic novel, she'd done all the bio comics about her own experiences as a girl growing up. So they immediately decided that she was going to do a girly X-Men, and this was like the worst thing in the absolute world. Even though it was a limited series, not part of the main series, they didn't have to buy it, it wasn't going <laughs> yeah, to like, that. replace yeah. other stuff. There's, there's this, weird, like, this weird thing, I think, particularly with mainstream American superhero fans, that somehow their comics are going to be taken away from them. They're like the gun nuts, you know. It's like, we're going to make gun control, and going, someone's going to come into your house and take it away. And it's like, oh, if we try to make superhero comics accessible to, accessible to women, and maybe transgender people and gay people and minorities, then they're going to come take your superhero comics away. And it's like, no, we're asking them to write better stories. You know, I, I always use the example of, like, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, which, like, a lot of people mock the bronies. But at the end of the day, My Little Pony is about pretty pink ponies with pretty pink hair. And Lauren Faust managed to sell it to 30-year-old straight men. Yes. And I'm like, if you can sell that to boys, and you can sell superhero comics to girls without turning them into some sort of feminist, like, you know, Nazi lesbian thing that the fanboys seem to think is going to happen. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, so uh, all comics drawn by men, a constitutional um, right. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, we're, we're running out of time, uh, but if there's one more question, uh, we can take it. No, no more questions? Then I'm going to thank our awesome panel. Uh, thank you for showing up for our Wimbledon Comics panel. And I don't have to, t I say this at the end of every panel I do, but I don't have to say it to this group. Read more comics! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, and um, there's a cocktails <laughs> at the bar. There's cocktails now? Apparently so, yes, yes, when in Europe. <laughs> Thanks to our great panel.